Yes, well, I fell. Okay, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> I fell. It's one of those kind of things that uh, I said to myself, this bed rail that we're throwing out behind the deck, I will pick it up someday. And um, I didn't get it. We had a cold snap, and the leaves came down and covered it up. And uh, I was on my way trying to help my wife as a dutiful husband that I am sometimes uh, replant or repot some plants and all that kind of good. Had a bucket of dirt and all that. Hooked my toe, went down hard, hit my head, broke my glasses, and something on this shoulder. I thought at first I'd broken some ribs because it was so painful I couldn't even breathe. And uh, went ahead and went to work that night. Had to come home within uh, four hours later because I couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't, couldn't do it. There we are. Couldn't do it. And so um, it's one of those kind of things, you know, um, that it happens. How many here believe in prayer? Yeah. You believe in prayer, correct? Okay, good. Pray for me. <laughs> My wife has been telling people tonight when she got here that she is really mean-spirited when it gets cold. <laughs> and I'm the one she's around the most. <laughs> yeah. So pray for her, too. <laughs> I count it a pleasure and a privilege to be here tonight. I always, and I really, really mean that. Um, when a person has spent 35 years of your life in the ministry and so on, um, I never take it for granted to, to preach or whatever. Uh, and yes, you do kind of get out of how shall I say, the flow of things when you don't do it consistently. But um, I count it an honor to be here to share with you tonight the word of the Lord. I started a series uh, the last time that I preached on the book from, from the book of Revelation. I'm not going to take this that far and that long and that all the way through Revelations. But, but it is something that at the outset of this book, there's some powerful, powerful things that are, that are being said there things that can revolutionize our lives and things that can revolutionize a church, if ever we can actually get our minds and our hearts and our spirits around some of these principles and concepts and so on, absolutely mind-boggling what can take place. Last time I preached, I shared with you Revelation chapter 1 about how John was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. That's a monumental statement. Every church should aspire to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Every believer ought to aspire to, be, to being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. When we come in those back doors on a Sunday morning, before we ever come, there's something to be said for having already been in the Spirit. And we talked about what that meant and what it means to be in the Spirit. I'm not going to go back and re-preach that, of course. But to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And when you find yourself in the Spirit, that sets the precedent for all kinds of phenomenal things that can take place, such as the voice of the Lord breaking into John's mind and his spirit and revealing himself in ways that was absolutely astounding. He saw Jesus. He saw him and describes him, Revelations chapter 1, in ways that... I keep saying astounding. That's, I need to find another word, I guess. Uh, breathtaking. In ways that so 
when you actually try to get your mind and your spirit into that whole process of where John was at and what he was seeing and the voices of sound of a trumpet he was hearing and those kinds of things, it sets the stage for incredible things to happen. Now, after chapter 1, you have chapter 2 and 3, which I'm not going to go into detail about that because that's the seven churches of Asia. Chapter 1 ends with John receiving a message from the Lord to each one of the seven churches. And each one of the seven churches, the Lord had a particular word for that church. Um, there are some who preach and say that this can be a dispensation. Each one of these seven churches talks about seven dispensations and that perhaps we, the church today, is in the last dispensation, the Laodicean church. It's that time when it's time to wake up and to realize that, uh, he says, there's lukewarmness everywhere. Uh, you consider yourselves to be wealthy and rich and this and that and whatever. You don't realize how poor you are. And uh, that's another whole message that I didn't really, I'm not going to be getting into that. But each one of these seven churches may speak of a dispensation of time beginning since the apostles' days. But I also happen to believe that today there are churches, several different types or personalities of churches in existence in the world today. There are some churches that are Pergamos. There are some churches that are Thyatira, Sardis. There are some churches that are Ephesus. There are some churches that are Laodicean. And there are some churches that are Philadelphian. They are in existence today around the globe from Hong Kong way here to the United States of America. But that's perhaps another time and another place because I really do want to pursue and go ahead with this whole idea of John relishing having a taste for accommodating the presence of the Lord. This thing in chapter 1 where he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, that was not just something that happened. He positioned himself in a purposeful way to find himself in the Spirit on the Lord's day. This man was the man who put his head on the chest of Jesus when Jesus was physically on the earth. This is the man who put his head on the chest of Jesus and actually heard his heartbeat. This was the guy who was infinitesimally, he wanted to know him. The Apostle Paul, I'm going to just allude to him right quickly for a moment here. The Apostle Paul had a constant abiding hunger to know Jesus. Let me elaborate on that just a little bit. He had a constant abiding hunger to know him. I've got to know him. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, Philippians 1.21. Other places where he says, I've got to know this one. I've got to know him. Now, understand, this is coming from the man, the Apostle Paul, who had been taught by Jesus himself in the desert sands of Arabia for three years after he had been converted. And yet, toward the end of his life, now think about this. Paul, who was taught by Jesus personally for three, three and a half years, and Paul who was his lifelong pursuit to go after, 
to go after him, to know him in his suffering, in his resurrection, in his death, to really know him. For the end of his time on this earth, there's a marvelous phrase where it says, and, or Paul says, I will yet come to visions and revelations of Christ. Think about that. I will yet come to visions and revelations of Christ. I've not arrived. Don't want to ever arrive. Don't want to ever have the sense in the field that that's, we, we've, we've, we've reached the pinnacle. Until I step across to the other side, I will yet come to visions and revelations of Christ. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. Now, having said that kind of as a preamble to where I'm going tonight, we're going to go to Revelations chapter 4. If you take your Bible, if you want to, and turn it there with me, I'm going to more or less preach this in, a, in, in an expository manner tonight and just lift out some very, very pregnant phrases from Revelation chapter 4. Beginning with verse 1. After these things, this was after he got the, 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 the messages concerning the seven churches of Asia. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And I'm going to stop right there. I looked, John says, and I saw a door swung open. In heaven. I saw it. Wouldn't that be something if it could be said of a church that over that church there was a door standing open? What could that mean for a church? Wouldn't that be something if Northwest Arkansas could have it said about its perimeters and its, and, its, and its population here, that a door was opened up over northwest Arkansas. Think about it. Access to God. Access to His presence. Access to possibilities. Access to miracles. Access to souls being saved. Access. That's what the door is symbolic of. Let me diverge for just a moment here and tell you of another time in the book of Acts where a door swung open. Because the Bible says that they were in the prison worshiping the Lord. Paul and Silas been beaten with stripes for the gospel's sake. And as they were worshiping, there was an earthquake. And the Bible says, a door swung open on the heels of praise and worship. There is a way to facilitate the opening of the door. There is a way to facilitate the opening of the door. John here facilitated that by being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. 
Now he finds himself looking up, and because he's in the Spirit, he's facilitating this to happen. His heart's hungry, his heart's open, and the Bible says a door opens up in heaven, and he sees it. Read on with me. After these things, I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here. Now, that can be taken really in a twofold way. It's an invitation. It might even be with a hint of command. Come up here. This is where I want you to be. Let me, let, me, let me develop this in your mind for a moment this morning, friends. What if we come to a church in our new church building this coming Sunday? Let's pray that that happens that way. Wouldn't it be great if on that Sunday, because we come there and facilitate the moving of the Holy Spirit, wouldn't that be something that over the church, the brand new first service, a door swings open? I just got goosebumps all over that a door would swing open over that facility. And in that service, the voice of the Holy Spirit says in such a way, I want you to come up here and see what, I, see what church is like up here. Let's don't have church as usual. Come up here. And let's see what church can be like and what service is like in heaven. And that's the key to beginning to understand the book of Revelations, the revelations of Jesus Christ. It is the understanding that the door swings open, we're in the Spirit, and we find ourselves stepping into the presence of God, and the voice says, come up here. The invitation is there. The hint of command is there. This is where I want the church to go. Don't live on the human plane. Don't worship on the human plane. Don't have church on the human plane. Have church up there. I've been to Argentina. Pastors talked before about, about uh, Hispanic folks having long services. I've been in Argentina, friends, where? Listen to me. In community after community after community, there were doors open above that place. What, what do you think church might be like in heaven? There is no clock to tell you when it's done. There's no clock to tell you when it's over. There is this sense of become, or coming into his presence and being there. And I've been in Argentina, friends, where the revivals that were taking place down there, I was a part of that for a little while, the revivals were taking place down in that place there. Unbelievable four, five, six-hour services. Astounding presence of God. And the preaching wasn't that long. It was the worship. It was the prayer. It was the adoration of God. It was people losing themselves in worship to Him. In worship to Him. Now, mind you, 
Anybody ever hear Young Gi Cho? Young Gi Cho, pastor of the world's largest church. And Young Gi Cho built his entire church on prayer. Literally on prayer. And he taught his church to pray. And in this church, with 10 services on a Sunday, with about 40,000 in each service, or 50,000, the church membership, as they call it there, is over a million people. They have had to train their people that when they go to prayer, and it's, it's more than automated, it's, 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 um, it's how, how shall I say this, it's on the PA system, it's a, it's a racket, it's a noise, and that tells them they are released now to pray. And that church erupts in prayer, just literally explodes in prayer. If he did not stop that with the next, within uh, 10 minutes or whatever, if he didn't stop that with the next sound to bring it to a halt, they would pray without stopping. There's a door that's open over that place. There is a door that is open over that place. Now, in saying all these kinds of things, friends, let me, let me, uh, you could have an appetite for that if you want it. Because God is not going to break that stuff out to you if you're not hungry for it. That's why most revivals that have taken place, whether you want to go way back when, or the Monrovian revival that lasted over 100 years, or whatever, those things don't take place until, first of all, there's some deep, 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 deep foundation work laid down. My wife and I went down to um, Florida, and we went to the revival there. Coming up with the name, the Pensacola Revival. We went to the uh, Cornfield Revival in Iowa. We had to stand in line for three hours to get inside. Went to those places, and every single one will tell you that those did not happen until the first, at least a minimum of two to five years of intense prayer that laid the foundation for that to take place. Got to have an appetite for it. Got to be hungry for it. Come up here. Come on up here, he says to the church. Come on up here. I've got some things that I want to show you. And he says, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, verse 2, I love this. Immediately. I have a hard time getting my head around this. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. Now, wait a minute. We just said we was already in the Spirit. What, what is this? Immediately, I was in the Spirit. I want to juxtapose to you tonight, friends. Listen, listen. listen. There is in the Spirit down here but there's immediately in the spirit that takes place when you go there. 
it is another dimension altogether. Am, am I speaking over our heads tonight? Immediately, he was in the Spirit here, but immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. On the other side of this door that has swung open was the throne. If you want to call it the throne room of God, so be it. Wonderful. It is a place of beauty. It is a place of authority. It is a place where, now watch this. I love the verbiage here that takes place in this passage. He didn't say, and God was sitting there. There was one, capital O, there was one. Again, another quick divergence here. Who is the opposite of God? Who is the opposite of God? No one. Not Satan. That is a lie that he would want you to believe in. That he's opposite, somehow equal to. There is no one in comparison to him. There is no one like him. There is no one who has his authority. There is no one who has his grandeur and power and glory and might and strength. No one. No one. Do what is one of the most often used words in Revelations? Holy. The angels and the seraphims cry out, Holy! Holy, holy, it's like they can't help themselves. That is the only word, the one word that they cry out again and again and again. Holy, holy. It's almost like I see them standing on this side of the throne and on this side of the throne and they're shouting back and forth to each other. Holy, 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 creating an arch over the throne. Holy, holy, holy. You know what the word holy means? The true essence of the word holy, what it means? One. It means other. Other. And John said, when I looked inside this door, I saw the other. I saw the one. I saw it. And he tries to use terminology. He tries to use things of earthly whatever to get across some sense of and, and a semblance of the beauty that is this one. He compares him there to having an appearance like jasper, a sardius stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Incredible, incredible, scintillating beauty. Mostly the sardius stone and the, um, uh, the jasper is a red-like, intermittent with 
orangey and browns and whatever. So it was like a movement of light. Glory emanating from this one, the other. Now then, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow on the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting. For just whatever it's worth, I'm going to make this real quickly here. I personally believe, and I can only say I believe this, okay, but those 24 thrones are 12 and 12. It's the 12 symbolic of the 12 tribes and it's symbolic of the 12 apostles. Elders, authorities, dignitaries. Really, in essence, spanning the human race on both sides. There were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes and they had crowns of gold on their head. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Lightning, thunderings, and voices. I love this because to me that is so symbolic of some awesome things that, uh, um, that is there in the throne room. Lightning speaks of revelation. Ever been in a lightning storm? I mean, it's pitch black. Kawam! And for just a moment, there is illumination. You can see, wham, more illumination. Lightnings taking place. Thunderings, that to me speaks of the prophetic. One of the hallmarks of Pentecostalism is the prophetic nature of it. And we tapped into it many, many years ago, beginning at Azusa Street, the prophetic. Sadly, in many cases, it's beginning to begun to wane in the past few years. But there ought to be the sense of the prophetic when we hear from God. His voice that speaks. Illumination comes. The prophetic comes. And voices come. And we hear things that God wants us to hear and to perceive and to understand. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. There's only one Holy Spirit. But it's a sevenfold manifestation of the one spirit. You can find that in Isaiah. Won't go there tonight. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. Are you beginning to get this picture in your, in your head, in your mind there? Before the throne, there was this sea of glass. So, you step through the door, and you see the one, and if you're going to make an approach, which would be awfully difficult to do, I would imagine, but if you're going to make an approach, you're going to be walking on a sea of glass. You're going to be hearing things and seeing illuminations, prophetic utterings. What is this? What is this sea of glass business? If you're taking notes, write this word down. Transparency. Because when you come into his presence, requires utter transparency. 
utter transparency. We sing about it tonight. Quite honestly, friends, there's nothing we can hide anyway. Bears out the omniscient nature of God, the all-knowingness of God. He sees, he knows, he understands. We ought to come to the place in our own individual lives, or even in the church, but in our own individual lives, where we can take, as it were, the lapels of our coat and rear back and say, there is nothing between you and I, God, nothing. I've got to be totally transparent with you if I'm going to know you. I've got to be totally transparent with you. This place where I stand, this positional standing, it's got to be transparent. I've got to be able to be open with God. God can only really trust people with his power and his glory who will be transparent with him. Let that sink in. You're not willing to stand on a sea of glass. You're not willing to be there. Forget knowing him. It's not going to happen. You can read your Bible until you've got it all memorized. You can sing all kinds of songs and worship songs, but until you reach a place of transparency, you will not know the glory and the power of God. Can't do it. Openness. I am yours. I really am. I am yours. All of who I am, what I am, ever hope to be, I am yours, God. I'm yours. And from that place, real worship begins to take place. From that place, real prayer begins to happen. From that place, real intercession can take place. But only from there. In the midst of the throne, where's my time at? I've got time to do this or should I make it another time? <clears throat> you sure? In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. I'm going to stop right there for just a moment. There were four living creatures, not animations, not a figment of man's imagination, real living beings. Four living creatures. Okay, now watch this. In full of eyes. <laughs> they were full of eyes in front and in back. Eyes everywhere. Had the ability to see coming and going. Having the ability to see. And here they are moving around the throne of God, the four living creatures. Now for the sake, for the sake of expediency, I'm just going to kind of cut to the chase because my time, I want to be very careful about the time tonight. But I was in prayer one time. I said, Lord, what, what is this stuff? And it is as though the Holy Spirit began to speak to me. This is symbolic of intercessors. 
It is in the throne room of God where intercession takes place. You might have an address down here, but it's in the throne room of God where intercession takes place. Let me kind of go ahead, and then we're going to come back and forth a little bit. The first, and it begins to describe these four living creatures that he saw. The first living creature was like a lion, had the semblance of a lion. Now, this semblance of a lion-like creature, this being, had eyes all around him. Eyes, 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 eyes. Had, they had wings. They were flying around. They were very mobile. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but I'm going to go ahead and put this out there so we can kind of see this all the way through here. If we're going to talk about intercessors, I have to understand, friends, as an intercessor, you can be very mobile. You can be here, but interceding for the church in Africa. You can be at home, but interceding for North Korea Christians who are meeting in a boat, five people meeting in a boat, having church. Now, they have eyes, the ability to see. They have wings, the ability to be mobile. And the first creature was like a lion. Now, if you're taking notes, you may want to jot some of this stuff down because I think it's actually pretty cool myself. There are intercessors who are lion-like. They are warriors. There are intercessors who really all they care about is the power of God and the ability to break chains and the ability to bring down strongholds. Now then, bear with me, friends, because sometimes lions get loud and they roar. Ever heard a lion break loose in church? I have. And I'll tell you what, it makes the hair stand on the back of your neck. This lion-like creature, they're concerned for the power of God and to see things powerfully demonstrated for upheaval, to discomfort the enemy's attack. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said one time when somebody asked him, how come you're so loud when you command sickness to, he to leave? He says, well, he says, I think it's kind of like this. He says, when a, when a dog gets a hold of your pant leg and he's trying to bite through your pant leg to get to your leg and gnaw on your shins, what do you say? Go away. <laughs> Go away. Don't. No. You assume some authority and say, stop it. Now. That's it. It's done. It's over. It's done. And the lion steps into the thing and says, it goes no further. 
Every church needs the cadre of lion intercessors. Every church needs lion-like intercessors. Now, here is a, a little bit of something I want to leave with you, friends. The only problem is one of these creatures we're going to see is the face of a calf. Intercessor. Also around the throne. Eyes, wings, the whole thing. But calves tend to be timid. And calves sometimes have problems with the lions because the lions are so loud. They get nervous. They get real nervous. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but let me, let me just say this, friends, that sometimes when you start talking about prayer and intercession and you have so many different, different types of personalities that are being discussed here, sometimes there is a sense that, you know, if you're going to be an intercessor, you've got to do it like me. Lions do it all the time. Oh, you're not really praying unless you do it like I do. And that's immaturity, immaturity when it comes to spiritual intercession. You're, 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 not, really, you're not really doing it right unless you can bellow and carry on, rage. You're not doing it right. God help us to come to the place where we appreciate each other's giftings. Let the lions roar. Let the lions roar because they are the ones who will break things open in a community in northwest Arkansas, in a city. Let the lions roar. Let me go on. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. Now, what kind of an intercessor is that? calf? A calf is usually mostly concerned with the work of God because that's what oxen do. They plow. They plow. They're concerned to see productivity. They're concerned that the work of God goes forward. They want to see all the work of God being accomplished. And you, 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 you can hear when people pray when they really begin to seek the Lord and begin to turn their hearts heavenward into this throne room setting and come into a place of real intercession, you can just pick up and hear how they pray and the words they choose to use, what kind of an intercessor they are. This calf person, a face like a calf, he's got eyes, she's got eyes, wings, mobile, they see, they see what's going on over here. They see what's going on over here. They're concerned for the work of God, that the work of God be accomplished and done. A lot of pastors who are into, quote, intercession are calf-faced pastors because they're concerned that the work of God gets done. It's God's work. Who are we kidding? God's work needs to be accomplished and God's work needs to be done. And that's the calf-faced intercessor. But let's go on. The third living creature had a face like a man. 
wow. He had a face like a man. Eyes, wings, flying around, seeing, seeing, seeing. And these intercessors are more concerned not so much about breaking stuff and not so much about not so much about the work of stuff. They're concerned about people. They're concerned about people. Listen to how they pray. They have prayer lists of people. They go down their prayer list for people. They name them by name before God. They're praying for people. People are important to these intercessors. It's the people to them that really count. It's the people. It's the people. And sometimes even the man-faced creature is a little fearful of the lion. Fourthly, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Like a flying eagle. Now, I'm not a very good demonstrator, but look up here for a moment. It was like, and it's interesting, not just the face, but like a flying eagle. He's soaring. He's looking up, down, all around. He's concerned, she's concerned for the perimeters of God. They're the ones who are laying down foundation. They're the ones who are calling for the deep. They're the ones that are crying out to God for the heights and the depths and the richness of Christ. These are the apostolic ones who are concerned for things being well done. Oversight. They build canopies. Now, I never really know how far to take some of these things because I don't know where people are at in their own walk and understanding of some stuff. But I happen to believe, friends, that God is raising up in these last days, God is raising up an army, huge army of intercessors, some of which are lion-like, some of which are calf-faced, some of which are man-faced, and some of which are eagles soaring. I believe that God is calling people to be intercessors in our churches. That's usually where most intercession starts as a ministry, as a calling. It starts within the local church. But then there are some that I believe God, God, God's, there, there are some that God places in a place within himself to have oversight of a region. There are some that God hooks up with ministries. Reinhard Bonnke, Suzette Hacking travels with him. Ever watched any of his videos? Reinhard Bonnke? Where in Africa, there's a tremendous move of God. Reinhard is no longer being an evangelist because he's retired and so on. But I've seen videos, friends, where as he stands in front of a crowd of 100,000 people and he stretches his hand out and just 
to make a point and 20,000 fall down. Am I speaking over our heads tonight? If nothing else, maybe I can say some things that might trigger. It might trigger a taste. Maybe I can taste and see about this stuff called intercession. Maybe. I wonder. Because, and I want to be very, very plain about something right now. Right now. Not everybody is called to be an intercessor. And don't you let anybody put you in a guilt trip if you're not an intercessor. I'm being very plain spoken right now. Don't let anybody put you on a guilt trip if you are not an intercessor called to intercession. There are some who are called to be evangelists. There are some who are called to be teachers. There are some who are called in the ministry of helps. Intercession, I believe, falls into the category of helps ministries. God does not use the intercessor to tell the pastor what to do, ever. 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 The intercessor comes alongside to encourage, to strengthen the hand of. The intercessor comes alongside to perhaps advise and counsel if the pastor asks for it. But never, ever does an intercessor say, I heard from God and you're supposed to do this. That's bunk. That is pure bunk. I believe that God is in the place today of putting people in position. He's been doing it. He's been doing it for thousands of years, hundreds of years, thousands of years, putting people on the wall as intercessors and watchmen to see and peer into the darkness what's coming, to see and to peer into the depths of God himself, to bring a word of encouragement and strength and release on planet Earth. Has anybody here ever heard of Charles G. Finney? Raise your hand if you have. I would encourage you to get some books and get online even. Look up Charles G. Finney. Great evangelist back in the early 1800s. He would walk into a factory. Would walk into a factory this happened one time. Walked into a factory. Just walked in. Never preached. Never said a word. He walked in. Looked at a couple of ladies at the loom there. Boom. They go down and start weeping and crying. And within 15, 30 minutes, the whole factory would be shut down because the power of God fell into place. It is said that of Charles G. Finney, he was a lawyer turned preacher, evangelist. It is said of Charles G. Finney that 80%, which is a phenomenal number, 80% of his converts remain Christians. 80%. Phenomenal number. Didn't go back. Didn't fall away. How many has ever heard of Father Nash? Father Nash. Abel Clary.
no, no. Father Nash and Abel Clary were two intercessors that hooked up with Charles D. Finney. They would precede Finney on his revival campaigns four, five, six weeks, eight weeks, go in and rent a basement somewhere and begin to fast and pray and storm heaven. People would recount later, they heard groanings coming out of those basement walls. Strong crying, strong tears. And they would not let up until they had the conviction from God that the need had been met. They would go on to the next place on his itinerary, and Charles G. Finney would come in and reap the harvest. Living creatures, having eyes, mobility. I honestly believe, friends, that one of these days, when you and I stand before God to receive just reward of our works done in this life, I honestly believe, I really honestly believe, some of the great names may not be the first ones to receive. It'll be those who've been hidden in basements. Because primarily, I'm getting way out of line here for where I'm spending all this time tonight. Listen, friends. Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. There are people right now in America, Hong Kong, Thailand. I, 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 I've, I've got to end this somewhere tonight. There are people that God is putting in place in local churches, local communities, regions and areas, States, a canopy is being put into place. A network, if you please, is being put into place for the kingdom of God to be established. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's the heart of an intercessor. Father Nash was not recognized nor able clearly recognized as any great ones. They didn't care. They didn't need to be. They did what God called them to do. It was not an affront to them that Charles Finney would come in and reap a harvest. It didn't matter. They did what God called them to do. And that was his will for their lives. You don't have to be rich to be an intercessor. Did you know that? 
You don't have to be good looking to be an intercessor. You don't have to be black or white to be an intercessor. You don't need a college education to be an intercessor. My heart for some time has been, God in this church, give us one, two, three. Give us some intercessors at New Song. Give us some intercessors, Lord, called, ordained by God, His hand laid upon their lives, and their life pulsates with that call. I'll go another place another time, perhaps. Because I realize this kind of a message is not for everyone. I realize that it's not for everyone, and I'm not offended by that, because everybody is not called to be an intercessor. And I'm cool with that. What is the best ministry? The best, min the best ministry is to do whatever God's will is for your life. That's the best ministry is to do whatever God's will is for your life. Father, I make my appeal tonight to the one, the one, the glorious one, the holy one, the majestic one, I make my appeal to you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, you are even now involved in the ministry of intercession. You sit at the right hand of God, ever living, to make intercession. I appeal to you, Trinity. Raise up, raise up the intercessors, Lord. Raise them up. Put them in place. Let them stand on the glassy sea and be transparent. Let them assume the mantle of a lion or a calf or a man or the eagle. Let them fulfill the call of God upon their lives. And Father, I pray that here in northwest Arkansas, this whole area, this whole region, Father, raise up, release, call, release. And I pray, Father, for this church, new song. Father, that indeed this place might be called a house of prayer. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Thank you, Brother Mike. I am thankful, thankful, thankful for for all those that um, share in ministry and uh, Andrew and Ryan and and Shania and Janae did an incredible job worshiping. Pastor, Pastor Mike, thank you for <laughs> preaching the word. Well, I, I'm believing that our prayer tonight hopefully sealed the deal that this is the last service in this building. Um, 
it's kind of, I don't know, I don't know whether to feel, it's like until you have that piece of paper or whatever, that email saying certificate of occupancy, I guess it's hard for the reality hit, but um, it will uh, it'll be very, very soon. So we love you, God bless you, and, and uh, you stay in fellowship if you like. I'm actually going to be heading out really quickly um, after service. We've got a, uh, a pastor from Fayetteville that's coming to look at our floors, and, and they're possibly doing that at their church, and so... They uh, bring in their church board tonight, so if you see me jet out real quick, I'll be back if you're hanging out very long. But uh, we love you, and remember, tomorrow, you know, about 9.30, if you have during the day, or tomorrow evening, 5.30 here to get chairs, we're going uh, to take them to West Fork. Uh, Friday, there'll be things to do. The weather's going to be a little nicer. I've got to finish painting some uh, fire lane striping at the church and some stenciling to do, and there's, there's just lots to do. And I know that sounds redundant. I know you'll be glad when we aren't saying, hey, everybody, we need you to come do some physical labor, right? <laughs> but, um, let's, let's kick it in gear. Let's get it done, get it knocked out, get in there, and then let's uh, watch God do mighty things in that new uh, tool that uh, he's provided us. Amen? We love you. God bless you, and have a good night. <laughs>